Hey everybody, David Chuddick here, and before we get started with this week's really, really cool episode that I'm excited about with the uh, Divorce Attorney to the Stars um, in Southern California, Chris Melcher, where we talk about uh, some of the aspects of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case and how they might actually apply to the normal person, to the business owner and to the individual. And this is going to be really cool because Chris Melcher has a unique perspective with, uh, with that part of society because he represents a lot of big time Hollywood actors, actresses, and, uh, and big wigs like that. But before we get started, I'd like to talk to the business owners. Um, if you're a business owner, more than likely the biggest asset that you own is your business itself. And I'm a very unique financial advisor in that I obviously work with my clients on their investment accounts, but I also work with business owners to increase the value of their business so that they can sell it for a higher multiple if they ever choose to do so, or they can just have an easier and more profitable life. So go to the show notes, click on the link and take your value builder score. It's really, really interesting. And I hope that you get some great insight from it. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast with Chris Melcher. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Okay, well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. Super, super excited. Number one for having a return guest on the show. Uh, Chris Melcher, the attorney to the stars, is, is joining us. And number two, we're going to be talking about one of the hottest topics on social media and in the news, and it's the Johnny Depp trial. So, uh, hey, Chris, how are you today? Well, thanks for having me again, David. Uh, it, it's it's a great story to be following. It's uh, I like to see all the engagement in a court case of people learning about the law and procedure and seeing what's happening to these folks. And there are some lessons, I think, for the rest of us uh, when we face a situation like these these folks are going through uh, that we can maybe learn and do it a little bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're in sunny uh, Southern California and, and, uh, you know, you and I were talking, you've represented some very, very famous people that, that, that we obviously we can't mention names, but, but I've heard of probably some of them and, and our listeners have, right. So people of kind of the, 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 the fame of, 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 of the Johnny Depp's of the world. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of my practice is, is representing, uh, I mean, all I do is divorce, but since I'm in Los Angeles, uh, we we have public figures, uh, celebrities that are living here and will unfortunately go through a divorce. And uh, there's a handful of lawyers who handle those cases. And uh, it, it, it's it's different because they involve all the issues that a regular divorce would have. Uh, but then we also have their reputation at stake uh -huh. that um, is is highly prized and cultivated um, and, and their income is reliant on keeping that good reputation. So the handling of those type of cases is different than the regular divorce case because legal time is glacial. We're talking two years to get your day in court. Um, and social media, though, will will past judgment within moments. Yep. So we're seeing a shift in the traditional legal advices to the client. Don't say anything. 
Don't talk to the press. Wait for your day in court. That doesn't work for a public figure. They got to get ahead of this stuff. They got to respond to it. Um, And there's risk involved. But if they leave it alone, uh, the public will have decided before they ever get to court. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, social media has just changed every part of the average person's life. And I could just imagine if you're a celebrity, um, how much it affects your life and, um, and your reputation. So, well, cool. Well, how about you give us like a 30 second Cliff's Nose version of, of just what's going on with this Johnny Depp and Amber Heard uh, trial, what's kind of being alleged and, and, and where we are and what could happen. And then we're going to talk about some of kind of how, how this type of a case could affect the average person. Sure. So a quick recap is that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were married uh, for about a year and a half, and they had a difficult relationship. They broke up, and there there was uh, claims of domestic violence by Amber against Johnny. She got a restraining order against him, and then uh, they quickly settled and uh, reached an agreement. It was a very generous agreement for Amber. And part of that was they wouldn't talk about each other, wouldn't disparage each other. Is that normal in in kind of a celebrity divorce? I guess, is that a non-disclosure or? Yeah, it's like that. I mean, it's it's part of buying peace. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and there are um, all types of reasons to have those type of agreements, but there certainly was a provision in this divorce settlement that said we're not going to say negative things about each other. And and that's just with dignity how everyone should exit a relationship. And sure. they were just making it a point of contract. Um, but there were cl- uh, lingering claims that were being made by Amber. And uh, one of them got picked up in, in the uh, British press. The, the publication called The Sun had called Johnny a wife beater and he sued out there uh, for libel and lost. And uh, Amber had also done an op-ed piece in the Washington Post talking about herself as a victim of domestic violence. And Johnny sued for that. And this is the trial we are now seeing in the court of Virginia. Um, and so it's the, 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 it's kind of unusual to see somebody uh, and especially two celebrities going through a fight publicly together. Most of these are settled because they understand that the damage that's done when they have a public fight um, is going to offset whatever gains that they might realize from having that fight. So this is extraordinary to see these cases go public. And initially, I was wondering why Johnny would even go there and and sue uh, in England and then sue now in Virginia because he's just drawing more attention to allegations from six years ago. And would we, uh, you know, but I think, though, after watching every moment of this trial so far, that he's really trying to clear his name in the court of public opinion more than probably trying to win in the court of Virginia for damages. And he's using this court case to compel testimony by Amber and to show uh, from his perspective that she is the dominant aggressor in the relationship. And there's audio recordings of her showing that fact. So I think he's he's done a good job his, uh, in es- exposing his side of the story because her side of the story she put in the media and now he's doing uh, his side in court. Wow. 
And I mean, a guy like Johnny Depp, I mean, would it be fair to say that he's probably spending millions of dollars in legal fees or, or just a, a, a tremendous amount of money for, for this uh, for this fight? Oh, yeah. The legal fees on both sides are going to be enormous. I mean, they're in the many millions of dollars. They've been working on this case for a couple of years. There's depositions, you know, out of court statements being taken that were taken of witnesses all over the place. Uh, this is a you know, over a three-week trial uh, so far. Um, and so th this is in the millions of dollars that are being spent. But Johnny Depp makes a tremendous or had made a tremendous amount of money. And the opportunities that he claims he lost were much higher than the legal fees that he's spending on this. Now, I don't know who did what or who didn't do what, but it almost seems to me, though, in America, there are a lot of hypothetically bad people that have done bad things and people still come to see their movies, you know, a, a year or two later and kind of forget lots of athletes still maintain endorsements after either being alleged to, 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 to do bad things for lack of a better term or actually doing bad things. So, I mean, is this maybe if it, if we would have just not worried about it, would it have gone away and people go still go see Johnny Depp movies? Well, you know, it, it just depends. Uh, every circumstance is going to be different. There, there are some people who are likable, and if and if you like that that celebrity or athlete, uh, you're going to support them probably no matter what. And then there's some other people who are just wretched, and you're going to hate them no matter what. So that 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 bias, I guess, uh, uh, is is going to probably determine it. But then what we're seeing in this so-called cancel culture is that there's some people who have been accused of things or have done things that yeah, are just so. You know, like it just they become toxic and they they're not going to be put in any type of role um, by a major studio because it's too risky and mm -hmm. the studio doesn't want and and everyone that's promoting that film want to be associated with uh, that person anymore. So that's what Johnny Depp uh, is claiming happened to him because of what Amber Heard had said about him, that he became toxic. Nobody wanted to touch him. And that's why he's he's done this. And if you look online, I mean, the outpouring of support uh, for this hashtag um, justice for Johnny Depp. I mean, we had billions of of social media posts about it. And the public is, I mean, just almost uniformly now um, aligned with him. You know, another kind of interesting topic for a podcast, maybe another time would be, you know, Will Smith. I mean, what's going to happen with his, um, with his movie career? Is it, are we going to forget? Are we not going to forget? Is, are, are there going to be missed, missed opportunities uh, there as well? That, that'll be an interesting one. Yeah. And you can see he, he's, Will Smith's doing the opposite approach, laying low, quiet. He hasn't said a word. Mm -hmm. And so that's the traditional way. And we've seen that uh, if you go back in, in time with, you know, these other celebrity stories and one that I was involved in, so I can't mention actually, but you you see these cycles last about a week or two. And so somebody's in the headlines all over your feed. You, you can't get away from the story. And you think like, this is never going to end. Well, in two weeks later, then Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. And all of a sudden that story is everywhere. I mean, even right. upsetting news from Ukraine. I mean, it's like, how is it even possible that 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 these are getting more views than stories about the war in Ukraine? But they did. 
And uh, and then you'd think like he's never going to get off the roaster, Will Smith. Well, then the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing happens and we're barely even talking about Will Smith anymore. So we just go we tend to go from intense focus on one story to the next. And usually keeping your head down and not saying anything is the best strategy. But sometimes, as we're seeing here with Johnny, you got to you got to put the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So from a legal standpoint. Defamation. What is it um, in kind of a real life definition? Sure. So it's it's a false statement of or concerning somebody else. If if they're not a public figure, like you know, regular person, um, then it, they just have to show that it's a false statement that caused them damage. And if they're a public figure. It's a higher standard because we have a First Amendment right to comment on things of public interest. And commenting about celebrities is within our First Amendment right to express that. And they've put themselves out in the public eye, so they have to endure our scrutiny. So when it's a defamatory or false statement about a public figure, there's a heightened request, I mean, a heightened element of showing what they call actual malice, meaning that the statement was knowingly false or made with a reckless disregard for the truth. It's extremely difficult uh, for a public figure to win a defamation case because of that heightened standard. So it's not only false, but you knew it was false or you acted so recklessly in making that statement that you didn't care about the truth. So very few of these have been successful and we have also seen celebrities and high profile figures. So people, maybe they're executives of a company or maybe the company itself that's being defamed or, or at least negative statements being made against them. And they want to quiet their accusers. They will sue knowing that they're going to lose, um, but also they hope to chill speech, meaning to intimidate people from speaking out against them or their company because they're going to have to hire lawyers. So some states like California have very strong protections. It's called the anti-slap law, which is uh, strategic lit litigation against public participation. So these laws help us if we're making a statement about a person or a company and uh, in the exercise of our First Amendment right of free speech, and we're sued for it, uh, we can get that case potentially thrown out very quickly and then assess all of our attorney's fees against the, the losing plaintiff. So we, we have seen some laws try and rebalance that because you can imagine a big company or a wealthy individual could use their team of lawyers to intimidate people from telling the truth. So let's take it, uh, you know, you're in sunny uh, California. <clears throat> I'm in I'm in Oconee County, South Carolina. There are probably less people in my county than than within a, a half mile radius of you. So let's say, I don't know, you have uh, Chris's hamburger shop and and I, I go to lunch and I eat a hamburger and I post on Facebook later on, man, don't go to Chris's hamburger shop. I got really sick after eating his hamburger. What sort of issues does that pose to number one, you, your business? Um, number two, I certainly can't be 100% sure that it was your hamburger that made me sick, right? So talk to me just kind of about that hypothetical situation. 
Yeah, David, th these are things that we all deal with, that if we're a business owner, uh, particularly a small business owner, we're seeing the online reviews mm -hmm. being so important for buying behavior or decision-making behavior that um, you know one negative review could mean customers not coming to us. So this is a problem. Now, of course, if it's a legitimate customer that feels that they had a bad experience, that they have a right to post that. That's the whole purpose of online reviews. But um, we have seen competitors lie about uh, businesses and posting these things falsely that they never went and got that burger and they certainly never got sick, but they're trying to create a negative review so they help their own business. So yes, there's could be work done on that, that if, if that happened, that would be actionable, meaning they could get sued for it. But how do you prove it? Very difficult, very expensive. And um, and then you, you, you maybe win on the one, maybe two, three years later, you get that negative review down. The damage is done. Right. So, you know, it, it's um, what I'm seeing in counseling my clients is, is that, of course, there's the big reaction. Oh, th this happened. I can't believe this happened. I want to take action. I want to stop it. I want to clear my name. That's natural to think that way. But to me, um, I'm trying to counsel my clients to think more strategically, saying, okay, yes, you feel that way, you have a right to feel that way, but is suing the right approach? And when you look at it, how much is it going to cost, how long is it going to take, and how many other re negative reviews are going to be out there in the meanwhile in the two or three years that we're working on this mess? So what I found more effective is to um, obtain positive comments for your business or your your own personal account um, and to bury then the negative ones or to balance out the negative ones. That is the most effective way to do things. The um, if So if you have one negative review about you or your business um, out there uh, and you have no positive ones, well, every time somebody looks you up, they're going to just see the big negative review and you're done Absolutely. for Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you go to your customers who like your burgers and, and saying like, hey, would you give me this review? I mean, a call to action, just like we do in sales, because no one's going to do anything unless you ask them to do it. And the power of asking is incredible. I mean, asking ye shall receive. I mean, this absolutely works. Mm -hmm. So if you ask somebody to do something, they will a lot of times go out of their way to saying, oh, I, I would love to support you. And now you've got the one negative review balanced against 50 positive ones. And so any consumer now looking, saying, well, I'd want to eat at this burger place or the one down the street would say like, okay, well, there's always somebody who's going to complain and here's right. that one person. And we got 50 other people who love it. That is much more effective in addressing the problem than talking to a lawyer. Okay. And I think, you know, when, when a business has a 4.9 rating instead of all perfect fives, it almost lends itself more credibility because it's like they're not hiding the, the one or two people that gave you a, a three star or a two star. Because like you said, you're never going to make everybody happy. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah, it's a great point, because if you if you had all the positives, then we get suspicious like mm -hmm. this can't be true because there's mm -hmm. no there's no perfection in the world. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking kind of going back to that hypothetical example, 
So now I, I, I didn't just on your restaurant uh, Google page give you a negative review. Now I'm kind of posting on my own um, on, on my own page, you know, Chris's restaurant is dirty and it made me sick and don't eat there. And, and, you know, maybe even before social media, just telling people verbally, I mean, what recourse do you have? Let's say, you know, people really do stop coming to your restaurant, you know, kind of walk us through that, that scenario, you know, you have lost revenue. No, I know I'm, I'm getting hungry just hearing all these examples. And, uh, but I, I think that the, the problem is, is that yes, technically, if you go to the law books or you go to a lawyer, there is redress. There is an action that could be filed. But um, the business is going to be over with by then. Uh And Uh then trying to establish, um, you know, at least in in America, when we sue, we have the burden of proof uh, for, for defamation to show that the statement is false. And um, in England, and going it's, back, it's, do, do I need to know that it's a false statement in order for it to be defamation, or can I believe that it's true and then it turns out to be false? Well, yeah. So if you if you are um, that 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 would be a defense. So if if you make a false statement, if you make a statement about somebody reasonably believing that it's true and it turns out to be false, then then I would think that that would be a defense to saying like, well, I reasonably believe this to be true. And, and the problem is, is that trying to assess damages, if a restaurant fails and the owner is then suing because of, of maybe, you know, a competitor making some false reviews, well, how do maybe the burgers were just horrible. Maybe they, you know, they, they it just sure. was not a good restaurant. So the, it's, it's really a fool's errand to try and go and sue everybody and prove damages. Like I say, the amount of time that it would take to get to court the amount of expense that it would be, it, to me, makes it in most cases not worth it to go uh-huh. down that route. And I would rather spend the significant amount of money that we're talking about to hire a lawyer and go to court on SEO work, you know, um, search engine optimization work, or just pushing out your own positive messages from you and your customers. Because this is the thing, if you go Google yourself right now, Google yourself or Google your company. Look at the first 10 search results. And out of those 10 search results that you got, how many of those are controlled by you, meaning your website, meaning your directory listing that you created, meaning the positive reviews that you asked your clients or customers to post? With many people, none of them are controlled by them, or maybe one. And if that's the case for for you as a service provider or business owner, you are now vulnerable for anyone else who wants to take the time, meaning angry person who wants to seek revenge or a corrupt competitor to now hurt you because you have not taken control of your own online domain. You've allowed other people to post about you. And that means if those people go and post and Google or whatever search engine now is seeing a search under your name or your business, well, they're gonna go to the most recent, the most relevant, the most content about what this thing is that the person is searching about. And they're gonna serve up that result thinking this must be the most relevant. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the biggest protection is not going to a lawyer. The biggest protection is to create your own content, have your own website, keeping it up to date, having a lot of traffic pointed to it, getting your customers to do reviews, going on social media like Twitter or whatever, and posting stuff out there, relevant information, LinkedIn, putting out online content about yourself so that if somebody um, posts something negative about you, it is a drop of water in an ocean now, not the entire lake, which, which, which is mostly happening to people. That's a, that's a great strategy. And I would think like, let's say in your, you know, in your field, in the divorce attorney field, pretty much half the people are going to hate you at all times, just because of, of, of the result. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad attorney. You were just representing the other side and the settlement just wasn't what you wanted, but, but it would be real easy to post negative information about an attorney when you lost the case against them. Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing that, um, where we have the client doesn't like the lawyer, um, feels that the, the lawyer let them down or overcharged them, wasn't prepared. We have certainly the other side could feel that they were bullied or intimidated or that the lawyer carried a lie for their spouse. So we have seen that, and that happens probably in a lot of professions, but uh, we've seen angry people create websites and they'll claim a domain named after that lawyer or service provider. And now, you know, like that can really come up in the, in the search results. So, uh, and they will spend a lot of time trying to do that because they figure, Hey, my life is ruined and I want to get revenge and I want to make sure other people know what happened to me. So it doesn't happen to them. So these people are determined and some of them are very smart and they know how to use social media and SEO to um, promote this content about you. So again, it all goes back to you want it to be a drop in the ocean. You don't want it to be the only water around. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I learned two things today. Um, And one thing reinforces one of my kind of core philosophies on life is that we need to control what we can control. So, you know, get the positive reviews, get the positive reviews, and there's always going to be something that's negative. And then, you know, that'll be a drop in the bucket. The second is there's at least one honest attorney in the world that's trying not to have everybody sue each other. Look at that. You're actually like a good dude (laughs) telling people not to sue. Go figure. So I didn't even have any bad attorney jokes planned, but I I couldn't in good conscience use one today. So, (laughs) well, well, thanks. That's, uh, you know, my dad was a lawyer and, and, and when I was a kid, he, in his office, he had a sign said, honest lawyer. And I said, I didn't understand like why the qualification, like I didn't understand. Cause I thought he was such a great guy and like helping people. And I didn't understand like, why would you need to say honest lawyer? And then he explained. Well, and it's probably like anything else, you know, the, the 1% that are, that are dishonest kind of uh, you know, give a black eye on the rest of rest of the profession. I have a few friends that are actually, you know, very good friends that are attorneys and, and attorneys are good people. Most of them, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be a few bad apples in any, any profession, but, um, and I would never, uh, you know, it's a tough job where you're kind of the last line of defense protecting them, protecting your client for sure. 
So, well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your insight. And as you know, we are the weekly wealth podcast. So we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. And in this case, we're talking about maybe some ways to preserve wealth through through um, lack of, of, of lawsuits. But I wanted to know, I always ask every guest what their definition of true wealth is. So, so what is what is your definition of of, of true wealth? Well, you know that's a great question, and I'm I'm struggling with that myself because we see, I see, people who do not have a lot of means that are happy, uh-huh. and then I see a lot of people in my profession who have and a mega lot of money. mega wealth, right? I mean, you're yeah, talking people yeah. that are not just you know slightly slightly wealthy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a stupid amount of money that these folks have and they're not happy. Uh And so I I've given that a lot of thought to myself and, you know, I think it is internal and, you know, we, we decide like we control whether we're happy and, and that's what I'm trying to teach my son is about, you know, don't let other people control how you feel. And that is, is, what I'm trying to teach myself about this wealth thing, because there's always this moving target here that I've had. I'm 53 and I'm thinking, well, if I had X amount of dollars, then I would feel like I could retire or I could slow down. And that number is always seems to be getting mm-hmm. a little bit larger as I get older because I feel, well, you know, I, 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 I kind of now have that X. Now it needs to be two X because I didn't, think I was going to have these other needs in my life. So I, I do think that it's not a number. It's, it's really this sense of like what, what's important. Um, and, and what I've been trying to avoid is the lifestyle game and trying to keep my lifestyle down. So what I, th- I think that this, this concept of, of wealth in, in my mind at the moment is of, of, having ownership of stuff um, rather than a lifestyle. And that's what's made me feel more secure and accomplished is not the vacations that I take or the clothes that I wear um, or the restaurants I eat at. It's having some assets and that are performing and creating income and that are stable. Those, those are the things that make me feel like, okay, look, even if I got sick and I was unable to work or if I died, um, that there would be enough here to provide. And to me, that's at least wealth in a financial sense is, is where it's at for me right now. I love it. I like it. And I think that's an interesting perspective. Um, certainly from someone who's, who's dealing with, you know, some of the mega, mega wealthy, uh, people. And, um, to hear that some of those, those mega wealthy people are not happy is, is interesting. One of the the biggest clients that I've ever had, um, you know, he was one of the most unhappy people I've ever known. And, you know, the money certainly didn't, um, didn't bring him peace, but, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, lack of money or, or improper handling of money certainly can create problems and stress and everything else. You, you, so you have um, you have both of those uh, for sure. I've, I've heard it said that um, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. 
as long as the nice stuff doesn't have you. Yeah, well, this has been awesome. I would love it if every time, uh, you know, when there's a, a high profile case, I just think this is interesting and, and cool. And just having your unique perspective from um, from out there in, in California and, and kind of being in this, in this industry, this has just been really, really interesting uh, to me. And to kind of get, kind of cut through the media, the media coverage of this case and kind of get some of the facts has been been really cool for me. Well, thanks for having me on, David. Absolutely. All right. Well, until next episode, we wish everybody a blessed week. And thanks, Chris Melcher, for being on this uh, podcast. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did with the attorney to the stars, Chris Melcher, and his unique perspective on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. As a reminder, if there's anything that's keeping you up at night with regard to your money and your finances, email me, David at ParallelFinancial.com. That's David at ParallelFinancial.com. Or you can go to my Calendly link, www.calendly.com slash David PF, and the PF stands for Parallel Financial. And if you're a business owner, do not forget to go to the show notes and uh, click uh, to uh, get your value builder score for your business, which tells you how you rank in the eight drivers of business value. We hope that you have a great week. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.